Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have Curtis Christofferson, who's the founder of Workout, W-R-K-O-U-T, great name, and Innovative Fitness. We talked today about what it's been like having a brick-and-mortar location with more personal training focused in Canada and how he had to pivot to a more digital footprint through Workout. What has that process been like, and how does he identify great talent, great coaches, and then enhance them throughout their programs. Great topics for any coach, any owner out there. Before we get into this episode, I want to remind the owners and coaches out there that if you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, I really think you're missing out. It's session plans, programming, and business tools that we use in our locations every single day, distributed worldwide to help you guys run your business, and run your classes. So I hope you guys could check that out. And thank you for listening to Effort Over Everything podcast. We have some great episodes coming up with Q&A episodes, more Effort Weekly, and more guest shows. Let's get after this great episode with Curtis. Let's go. So Curtis, we were just talking about, um, I was sharing with you some things that are occurring here in the United States. And you know, you're out there in Canada and I'm really curious from a small business owner perspective, you know, you get through COVID and it's still been challenging. And here we are uh, a year or two later, and there's quite a few businesses that have back due rent. And in the U.S., they had this thing called PPP, which was primarily used for payroll protection, but there wasn't anything that came out specifically for landlords and rent in particular in California, where we were mandated to shut down for so long we haven't seen any additional support. So what's happening in Canada and what are you seeing from a brick and mortar perspective? I'm, I'm curious your insight there. And then we could obviously dive into a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, so it's obviously evolved and changed throughout the last 16 months. Um, originally, the government didn't provide any subsidy associated with your rent, um, you know, in the brick and mortar setting. But then what happened was that uh, they sorry, then they did actually provide subsidies on the wages. So very similar to probably what you experienced. You know, in certain industries, and depending on where your income and revenues were, uh, that dictated how much subsidies you get from the wage perspective. And so in the service industry, in the fitness industry, you know, we got, you know, up to 40, 50% of our wages back in, in subsidies. Um, on the rent side, uh, the, the government gave a, a level of rent subsidy, but it was controlled by the landlord. The landlord actually had to apply for that subsidy. And if they didn't feel comfortable you know, disclosing their financials and their position, they went, or didn't want to do the work, they wouldn't apply. So it can vary. Um, and that rent subsidy, essentially, the subsidy goes to the landlord and then allows them to provide you with rent relief. Um, but that was removed after probably about six months of, of providing that. So then if you are a tenant who can't pay because your revenue is turned off and your landlord decided not to apply for this, are you just like out of luck and now you have to go and figure out how to settle that up with landlords? What's, what's, what's the general theme? Because I know for a while you were very big into the brick and mortar space. You did more of a private training model for lack of a better term. Are you still in the brick and mortar space? And what have you found with your current landlords or just overall industry in Canada? Um, are, are landlords being cool? Is everybody kind of taking a haircut or what's happening? Yeah, that's uh <laughs> A little bit of a loaded question, but uh, so basically we have, we have 12 locations, 12 brick and mortar locations that span anywhere between 5,000 and 6,000 square feet. 
strictly one-on-one uh, premium personal training, as, as you know and mentioned. Uh, I'd say the 12 locations, it really depends on who you're working with. You know, we have, we have you know, pension funds that own a couple of the, the buildings that we're in all the way to, you know, uh, four or five gray hairs that, that you know, have, have owned the buildings for 40, 50 years that don't care. And so, you know, out of our 12 sites, we have, I would say, I'd split it into three. So we'd have, we had four that were extremely accommodating. We had four that understood, didn't really wiggle that much. And then we had four that did not wiggle at all. So, you know, it depended on, on the scenario and the situation on how we uh, navigated this scenario. I was lucky that, you know, if I look back when the pandemic hit, so, um, you know, on our side of, of North America, you know, it was around March 15th, March 15th to March 20th is when it got bad. Um, I sent, I traveled to New York, New York, San Diego, New York to San Diego, March 3rd. And when I came back on March 11th, I sent, I sent letters to our landlords and our banks that this was going to be disruptive and they laughed at it. And I said, Hey, just wait, I want to be on the top of the pile because when this thing goes sideways, I want to be the first on your list that you're going to take care of. And sure enough, two weeks later, we were having conversations. So I got ahead of it. I got ahead of the requests. I got ahead of, you know, um, some relief early on in some of the sites, some of it was a fight. Um, and then, you know, some of it didn't even, didn't even make a difference. And so now where you're at, in um because here in california you know we got hit pretty hard in terms of like just you know closures and especially in our county um there's still a mask mandate in my county right now what where you're at in canada are things back on track now are people is it just open or, or what's happening there yeah so our west coast facilities in in bc like in the vancouver area um where they're at right now, fully open. They have those mask mandates, so you have to have masks indoors, um, which is restrictive. Like not many people want to train with a mask, and you know, trainers obviously, you know, they have to wear a mask at all times. Uh, so there is restrictions on that side. But overall, in the last sixteen months, we were forced to close from March twentieth to uh, June first. So we were closed, you know, essentially two months. And and then other than that, we've been open with mandates coming in and out from restrictions, um, volume restrictions, mask restrictions, and, and some complexity. But overall, the business has been, you know, running and operating since June 1st of 2020. On East, on, on the East Coast, we were closed for, you know, I think seven, almost seven months. So is that the craziest thing, right? How there could yeah. be, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, where we're at from a brick and mortar perspective, it, it's really unique. I mean, we're, we're a little bit, you know, in the, in the one-on-one personal training, um, you know, space, you know, we don't have high volume. We don't have classes. Classes got extremely, any kind of deemed uh, group classes or high intensity exercise um, had a lot more restrictions than we did because we're one-on-one and we can lean into like active rehab and a little bit more personalized wellness. We didn't have the restrictions that group classes did. And therefore we were able to, you know, stay open, um, you know, throughout the time besides those two months. Uh, now, you know, there are vaccine passports. We have, that's one, one um, stipulation now. So we have vaccine passports in all of our locations. You actually have, if you, you enter a restaurant, any kind of community center, rec center, um, you know, any kind of business, they're supposed to check your vaccine passport. And, and you're not, if you're not double vaxxed, you're not allowed in. And so 
that's government mandated. And if, if as a business, if you don't implement that, that mandate, then you, you expose yourself for, for, you know, closure from the government. And so for us, you know, in the personal training industry, I would say that we were already a little bit protected in the fact that it's personalized. It's one-on-one, there's less traffic, there's no group class, there's less fear, fear from, you know, sharing equipment or sharing space. Um, that being said, you know, we were still hit hard. Uh, when the vaccine passport got implemented, we thought it was going to be more, you know, even more restrictive because, you know, just like, you know, the percentage yeah. of the population that's not vaccinated, there's 10% that's not vaccinated. So, you know, if we have 10 to 15% not vaccinated, we lose 10 to 15% of our customers and clients immediately when that happened. Um, and we thought it was going to be a long tail effect or impact in terms of getting people back because they felt more comfortable with the vaccine passport. We've seen, you know, if I, we have 12 locations currently right now, as it sits, uh, six are, are either pre-COVID or better than COVID numbers. Uh, we have three probably, you know, around 90%, and we have about three that are, are ranging between 75 and 80%. So overall, you know, as an industry that got decimated, we're, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you're having all the same concerns, challenges that we are here. Um, we have obviously a little bit of a different lens because it's group training instead of individual. But I wonder, how did you get into... So growing your business, um, you and I met at uh, the Mastermind Talks, and you really focused more on the individual side, but we're, we're, we have very similar businesses, brick and mortar, group classes, individual, same exact idea. How did you go from one to 12? Um, so if, you, if a gym owner wants to go ahead and expand, and you, you said something really interesting earlier, you said all of them around five to 6,000 square feet. I think identifying key square footage is key, but I'm curious from a business owner perspective, from a scale perspective, what type of things have you learned along that journey going from one to 12 uh, sites um, where you're at? I don't know how much time we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many, how, many, uh, how many lessons can we talk about here, right? Yeah, right. So we, um, our brand of Innovative Fitness has been around for 20 years and and 20 years of, of building and growing a, a personal training business is, you know, has not been easy. As you know, there's not many, you know, uh, personal training brands or, or gym brands even that have more than, you know, two sites, let alone, you know, upwards of, of you know, 10 and 12. Um, you know, early on, we, we obviously established uh, our brand and our model, you know, back, back when personal training was not, you know, as, 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 available as it is today. And, and the people that looked at personal training were, you know, high level executives, CEOs, celebrities, athletes that were looking to outsource their health and pay a premium for it. And so, you know, with the industry, the way it is, you know, second failing, you know, second highest failing industry in North America, restaurant being number one, fitness being number two, you know, the banks don't look at us, you know, very favorably even before COVID. And so, um, yeah. You know, when we first, I remember first starting out, it's, uh, you know, it's a great, I mean, I, I think it's a great story anyways. I, uh, you know, I was a young buck out of university, you know, played uh, national team. Um, I was a national team athlete and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I was lucky I got full ride scholarships. So I took out a student loan when I was 18 and, and bought a house. And by the time I was 22, I, I had three. And then I decided I was going to just sell my my properties and, and my houses to invest in, in a business. And so I took a $500,000 loan out at 21 and, um, and started up my first brick and mortar location. And from there bootstrapped it 
and, and evolved to the 12 that we have today. Now, that being said, it's not like it was all my money. I, you know, we, we realized quickly two things. Number one, if the banks weren't going to support us, um, you know, there was the franchise model. Like, how do we develop and systemize a business that people fell in love with that then they could replicate what we had established and spend their own money expanding the brand? And so the franchise, you know, model allows that. I mean, because, you know, it's, it's someone else's money expanding the brand and the system and using the systems that you've created. So that's one avenue. Um, on the second note of that, you know, we also feel that it provided the opportunity for people to grow and go, you know, in a, in a business and an industry that there's a lot of people that get into this industry because they're passionate about it, but don't know how to start up the business. It provided an avenue for upward mobility and for people to take that brand and take that business model and then, you know, be their own boss. So you know, it, it allowed us to not only expand the business, but it allowed an opportunity for our trainers to come within the system and then expand out. And so, um, you know, that's what we did out of the 12 locations we have today, eight are franchisees and, and four are corporately owned by myself. And, and um, yeah, and that's, you know, a little bit of the story. And when you're looking for, you know, a franchisee partner or potentially if someone's looking to start a business and have any type of partner, I mean, is there specific characteristics you're looking for in these franchisees, any like red flags? Because we rolled out a licensed partner, uh, a partnership about a year ago, and we learned a lot along that journey. We've now consolidated down and we've reduced down the amount of partners that we have just to kind of keep the quality and the consistency. When you're looking for franchisees or looking for partners or trying to do these type of things, anything specific that you tie to or that you look for? Yeah, so they, you know, we, we've seen it multiple times where, and we've had a couple, you know, uh, failing partnerships, and, and we're lucky that we haven't had, had to close many locations. But, you know, some of the partnerships that we've seen that have failed is because, you know, the operator hasn't had a financial investment into the business. They've had a financial partner that have put all the money up front. So it's really important to us that there's a financial investment, there's a vested interest, there's risk on the line. Um, I, I'd say that's, uh, you know, big one, one major characteristic. Um, another characteristic you want to, you have to want to live and work in the area that you do business in. You know, it's such a community focused service that if you're not, if you're living in a different region that, you know, from where you're, you're operating your, your business out of, it's not going to work. Like, especially getting it up and going, it doesn't mean that you can't get it up and going and, and put the, you know, sweat equity and the time and energy to establish it and then move out of that region. But, you know, early on, you have to be connected to you know, whether it's the sport programs or the community or giving back in some way, like you have to have the ability to network. Um, I think that's super important. Um, I think, I think, you know, in, in the training industry, you know, technical abilities and skills as, as a trainer is super important for sure, without a doubt. And I think you can, you know, you can be a great trainer if you have high level education certification, but that doesn't mean that you're a great entrepreneur or, or a great business owner. You know, I think, you know, having the ability, if you don't like people, you know, yeah, you're, in the, mean, wrong, you're yeah. in the wrong business. Yeah. You're in the wrong business. Like yeah. you're in the wrong business as a trainer, like, you know, in my opinion, but you know, if you don't like managing people, leading people, you know, connecting with people, networking with people, uh, giving back to the community, probably the wrong business too. Like, so those are some of the characteristics we look for. You know, it's not a matter of your resume, your skill set, your experience and your certifications. It's literally about, you know, how you show up as an individual. Do you like being around people? Do you like networking? Um, are you involved? Do you like giving back to the community and devoting that time that a lot of people aren't ready to devote to? Um, if, if there's, you know, I wouldn't say there's red, 
you know, red flags for what I'm going to say, but there's a sweet spot too. I think, you know, if people can establish their career and get into this business when they're, you know, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, prior to being married, having kids, having other responsibilities, I think they have a leg up. Like I think it's characteristics that they have the time to devote to this. Um, because in my opinion, it's, it's hard to juggle, you know, having two kids myself, being married as, as long as I have, you know, I'm lucky that I did all that hard work when I didn't have a relationship I had to juggle or, you know, a commitment to, you know, our children and our kids. And, and if you have that flexibility and freedom, um, you know, I think it, it definitely, it makes it easier. It's, it's not like you can't do it, but it definitely makes it easier. Yeah. And so, I mean, looking at your business and the amount of trainers you guys have throughout all the locations, you talk about, you know, you got to be a people person. I, I get it. Um, anything in particular. So you have di different certifying bodies for different stuff, right? Whether it's personal training, strength conditioning, you name it, there's all kinds of certifications when you're looking to bring on coaches. So I like what you're talking about. Just because you're a good coach doesn't make you necessarily a good business owner. There's a lot of different ideas and concepts you need to be able to work through. I also like what you're talking about, about living near the location, which I do think makes a big difference. Even for us here in the Bay area, we have locations that are, you know, with like 50 minutes from my house and I don't see myself going there as often as I thought I would, right? When they're 15, 20 minutes, it's a big difference. But when you're looking at your trainers, anything in particular, like, do you guys have, um, I don't know, some type of system that you put them through or any, any ideals, any concepts that maybe a gym owner listening or someone in the service space can take when trying to develop their team. So non-business related, coach specific, anything that comes to mind about all your trainers and what you've seen successful in terms of how you've mentored and developed them? Yeah, I have a lot of lot to share on that too. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, just to give some context, we have 12 locations, we run about 240 full-time employees. So they're all employee based, they're not contractors. Um, just if it's relevant for any of the listeners on, on, this, uh, on this podcast. And, you know, we, we take pride in, in our interview process, onboarding process and mentorship process. So, you know, right from the get go of how we identify people, number one, we feel that good people know other good people. So we incentivize, you know, any kind of referrals from our existing training pool, you know, whether it's, you know, they played sports with them, they were, you know, they went to school with, with the individuals, they worked at a previous job with those individuals. Like we, we put a lot of pride in, in incentivizing our existing teammates to, you know, bring on other great people because, you know, usually people flock in, in the same type of circle and the same, same type of quality of human beings. So that's number one. Number two, we have an interview process that we identify, you know, a resume will tell you their certification experience, skill sets, you know, and, and, you know, their qualifications. But what an interview does is it allows uh, them to evaluate the business and if there's alignment with the values and the opportunity, as much as it allows us as a, as a business to, to ensure the same thing, like we treat interviews as it's, it's, you know, an interview about us as much as it's an interview about them. And, and if we can identify that, you know, the opportunity meets um, the opportunity they're looking for, which means like there's an alignment in values, alignment in work ethic, alignment in, in obviously compensation, um, you know, and, and alignment with what we need at the time, because that makes a big difference. That's super important to us. Um, every single one of our locations on average has 15 to 20 full-time trainers. And out of those 15 to 20, just like a sports team, you don't need 10 goalies and you don't need 10 forwards. Like you need different personality traits 
to round out a great environment. You need the analytical trainers that, that have uh, the characteristics of, of keeping the, the, the facility intact, providing education to the team, providing um, you know, a, a really good uh, focus energy on programming. And then you need you know, the cheerleaders. You need the people that are gonna create the environment. You, you, know, you, don't, want, you don't want to walk into a, a gym or a studio. environment, yeah. You want yeah, the energy, yeah. Totally. And so you need a mixture of everything. And, and if you have, if you over index on one or the other, as an example, then you're going to, you're going to see that it's either going to be, you know, you're going to walk into an environment that's cold and dark and no energy and no environment, no, you know, motivation, or you're going to walk into, you know, a place that's scattered, unorganized, not full of, of, you know, educated, you know, teammates that, that don't have, you know, a progressive mindset in terms of like their skills and development. So, you know, we look at that when we onboard people, um, we have a, a, a two week onboarding process and we treat that like, you know, this is your tryout, you know, and, and do we pay people? Yes. Back in the day, we didn't, um, you know, labor laws and, and in certain reasons we've shifted that, but yeah. before it was like, you're volunteering your time to be on our team and, and we'll tell you if you're on our team. Um, and that was two weeks of a selection process. And when people aren't getting paid, they'll self-select out. You know, that was the beauty of it. Um, you know, if, if it was too much or overwhelming or they didn't think it was the right fit, they ain't coming back to the next day of orientation. Um, if you're getting paid, I think it's, you know, it's a little bit different, but we we still have that two-week two, two onboarding process. And then from there, we when someone's onboarded, we actually have a 12-week a development program that our managers onboard and work with all of our new employees for 12 weeks and it's a scheduled one-on-one, one, -on -one, one hour meeting every week with a set agenda for 12 weeks. Uh, and the reason why we established that is because early on, someone would be onboarded, you know, we take them through the interview process, which, you know, identify their, their personality profile, their characteristics, who they are as, as people, let alone their skills, qualification and experience. We onboard them and then what happens is that they get, you know, they go through the onboarding process. We say, yes, check, 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 all, check all the boxes. And then we put them, you know, throw them in the, with the wolves. And in our model, and I think a lot of people can appreciate this, there's a big difference between hiring someone that has 12 or training with someone that has 12, 14 years experience and someone that has three months or two years. And so you know, we want to make sure that the level and quality of our service is as consistent as possible. So we have a three month window, 12 weeks to try to really ramp this someone, someone's development up as much as possible to ensure we minimize the gap between the experienced vet on the team and the newbie. And, and we go through a 12 week development program that actually focuses more on personal development than it does actually on, on professional development. And so we can, you know, we can jump into that if you want to. So no, I, I like that a lot. I mean, we have similar things at NC fit, but I like, I, I haven't, I've, I haven't heard of a, a, an organization doing, Hey, we're going to set up 12, one week, hour long, just get together. But 12 weeks is a long time. And I think that you're totally right though, that, that concept of, if you've been a trainer on the floor for 10 years, there's a lot of difference in your comfort level, your ability to engage, whatever you've, you've just, you know, a thing cause you've seen a thing, right? And then the new, the new coaches, if we could have them on this after 12 weeks, I'm sure there's a lot of insight that's shared. So I love that concept. I like how you've been able to develop that. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there that are going to be able to lean on that. I wanted to ask you through COVID, 
you know, your business model was so predicated on in-person training. So, you know, and when the gyms were forced to close, I mean, fortunately yours is only a couple of months. I mean, six months, is a long time on the other ones, but, um, unfortunately at one of our sites, we were closed for over a year, but did that encourage you to start thinking about creating digital revenue streams or growing that way? What inspired you? Because you are the, are you CEO? You're CEO of yeah. workout, yeah. right? Yeah. dot com, which is a online digital platform for essentially personal training. And I'm curious, when did you come up with that idea? Was it after COVID hit? You're like, oh shit. Or was it way before COVID and this just happened to coincide with that? Yeah, a little bit of a mixture of both. Uh, you know, so let me rewind. Before before COVID, before 2020 hit, we the reason why I was on, on a road show and I went to New York, San Diego, San Francisco, uh, in, in and Seattle, I did that at the beginning of March of, of 2020 before COVID was, you know, had hit the West Coast. And we had and goals and ambitions to to, to expand our, our brick and mortar business down to the US. So you know, like I said, New York, LA, San Diego, San Francisco, and, and Seattle. We had a couple offer to purchases. We had signed a couple leases. And, you know, the reason why we, you know, we were ready to do that. We were ready to expand after 20 years down to the US. And because of our expansion plans in 2019, we started developing our own software. You know, for everybody that's running a personal training studio that's listening in, you know, we all know it, right? Mind, body, great, you know, you know, definitely a, a solution. You know, so is you know, Trainerize, so is, true coach, you name it, like some great software solutions. The reality is that we've always evaluated the software solutions when it comes to personal training studios. And we realized, we realized that there was either the scheduling and billing side of it, or there was the, the, the trainer tools and, and connection with the customers or the clients. And there was nothing that really blend both really well together. Like, you know, MindBody is great for group classes such as spin and yoga and, you know, dance or, or whatever have you. But you know, it's, it's, it's CRM and it's training to specific tools are not as robust as they could be. And then on the flip side, you have, you know, a, a great tool like Trainerize and they don't have the scheduling and billing function. So we embarked on developing our own software and we started that in 2019. And one of the things that we always looked at is how can we create a robust software that we could connect to our consumers and users when they're traveling? So whether it's corporate travel, vacation travel, uh, you know, and on the road that we don't get this, you know, influx of, you know, lost revenue over the holiday period, Christmas or summertime, as an example. And, and so we were already still, you know, starting to wrap our heads around how do we actually connect with people? What does that look like? Is it on text? Is it programming? Is it, you know, video? Is it, you name it. And we had about seven months of code, to, you know, engineered and developed uh, leading into COVID. So when COVID hit, like it was a whirlwind as, as you know, you right. and everybody else knows. March 15th, we closed our doors and, you know, March 16th on Monday morning, we're like, what does this look like? And for us, it was let what's worse and best case scenario. Best case, we said six weeks. Worst case, we said longer than six months. And if we went by worst case and we were going to have to close our doors, not have any con connectivity with our customers, have no connectivity with our trainers, and really lose out on the, the community and the services that we had spent 20 years developing, we were gonna be up shit creek. Like, right. rehiring everybody, 
reconnecting with our, our customer base. And so we said, hey, listen, we have seven months of code developed. Let it already had the scheduler, the billing system. It had a, a relatively robust CRM. Let's attach a video streaming solution to it and connect the consumers with the same high quality product just distributed in a different place. If people can have Zoom meetings, Microsoft Teams meetings, you know, why can't we provide a virtual training service? And so our engineers, we, we had five engineers uh, at the time. On Monday morning on the 16th, we made the phone call. We said, can you do this? They said, yes. They said it was gonna be $13,000. I said, okay, well, that's not a bad price to pay. Right. Uh, it was about four times that. I was going to say that's that sounds yeah. uh, uh yeah that yeah. sounds it sounds more affordable than I would think. Seems reasonable, right? Um, on top of everything else that we paid yeah, for. Yeah, of course, it. of course. Um, and sure enough, March thirtieth, we we deployed two hundred and forty trainers. I think five trainers didn't you know sign up for it. They just said that they weren't equipped to do virtual training, and we deployed two hundred and forty trainers to deliver the same high quality services that our clients and customers had you know we're used to virtually from the home of the trainers to the home of the clients. And we spent those, those two weeks from March 15th to March 30th, refining their space, making sure they had the appropriate tech, Wi-Fi, that they showed up virtually differently. And, and, um, and, and yeah, that was the, that was the birth of, of virtual training for us. And, and, you know, in terms of workout, cause you mentioned that, that didn't come until a little later because, you know, our original pivot was, to service our existing client base. Our original pivot was to keep the lights on, to pay the bills, to, to keep the revenues going. And, you know, what happened was, you know, and I could, I could expand on this if, if, if you want, but what happened was is that in eight weeks, we ended up delivering 17,000 live one-on-one, one-hour virtual training sessions. So 1.5 million in revenue across seven weeks we, we delivered. And we had about a 75% adoption rate. We had, we started getting clients all across North America, New York, Boston, Chicago, LA, St. Louis, um, you know, and, and we started realizing, okay, you know, we're getting unsolicited feedback saying, this is 95% as good as going to the gym, but a thousand times more convenient. I love this. And when we saw the feedback for some people, they love the virtual training solution. And we saw that we could open up this high quality service that we'd learn to deliver in our brick and mortar for the last 20 years that we could deliver it now outside of our geographical regions. And, and then we saw that we could evolve the tech, not a business to not a B2B software solution that we went out to go and create, but almost a, you know, a marketplace or, or, you know, a, a B2C service and solution. We said, this is bigger than, than what we thought it was going to be. And so instead of actually, you know, de developing underneath our own brand, because we knew we were going to have to raise money in, in the business, you know, being a tech enabled service and a tech platform, you know, if we wanted to have a good shot at it, we were going to have to, you know, raise money, build an engineering team, you know, and focus a, a you know, whole, an entire team and, and, you know, energy around that. We established workout.com. So W-R-K-O-U-T.com. And, uh, Which and I love forward. that name, by the way. I cannot yeah, believe no one that hadn't been taken. I know. You know what? I can't take credit for that. I was I was laying in bed one night, and and I usually say that between myself and my wife, I'm the idea guy. And I said, you know, what what should we call it? You know, it's going to be a you know consumer facing product. It's going to be virtual training. You know, we we thought about you know sweat this or you know whatever. I mean, we we brainstormed a bunch of things. She goes, what about workout.com? I'm like, there is no way. She goes, no, we'll we'll just drop the first O. And I said, there's no way that's even available. 
like she goes, six letters, it'll look good stacked. And I said, go for it. And we found it. There's a premium domain and we just bought it right away. So I won't take the credit for that one. Wow. And so now with workout.com, uh, for, for coaches out there who want to expand and grow their, their um, virtual personal training, do you guys then allow trainers? So you guys started off, what I love about this model is we did it for us by you guys, right? We, we created something that you wanted for your own business. And now you're trying to provide that opportunity to other trainers. So if another trainer or coach was interested in getting involved, what's that process like? How does a trainer become on your platform? And then if you're someone who wants to go share your platform and go sign up for any trainer, how does that look? Yeah, great question. So when we originally did the concept of workout, it was originally going to be almost an employee-based model, like innovative, just virtually. Like, mm. hey, if there's all these brick and mortar brands, such as F45, Orange Siri, you know, all the CrossFits, like NC Fit, like, why don't we just actually own the virtual training space? And what we realize is where things are going, you know, everybody wants to be their own boss. Um, you know, independent trainers um, are flourishing over the last five to 10 years. And we thought, you know what, let's do something that is a little bit more disruptive for the industry and less selfish for us. And so we said, let's create a marketplace. Let's create a turnkey solution for independent trainers to have a tool to then deliver virtual training. And, and what we realized is like, you know, there's a huge opportunity on that because now we're connecting consumers and users with a vetted marketplace where we'll vet the quality of the trainers on the platform originally. And I'll, I'll kind of dive into that and why we're doing that. But we're going to have a marketplace where consumers and users can go and meet, you know, find a trainer as an example. And on the, on the flip side, trainers can deliver, can bring their own clients on the platform at next to no cost. So make it easy for them uh, to bring on their own clients and manage their business on it. But they can also be available to pick up new clients. And, and you know, it's no different than, you know, an Uber and Airbnb. It's like, you know, now you can be part of a marketplace, whereas we'll, we'll continue to try to drive traffic and volume of consumers and users that are looking for great quality training. And on the flip side, we're going to hopefully vet you know, and, and bring high quality trainers on the platform that, you know, both manage their business on our platform, but also pick up new business. And so, you know, the reason why to answer, uh, to, to make a comment around some of the questions you have around the process, you know, if you go to workout.com, you can apply to be a trainer on our platform. We have some great trainers, um, you know, on our platform. And, you know, that's only going to get easier and easier in terms of like, you know, how you get onboarded. Notably than Uber, you know, the first, you know, uh, version of Uber was not as easy as it is today right. that you just take a picture of your driver's license, your, you know, your insurance papers, and next, you know, you're approved. Like, you know, for us, there's a little bit more of an onboarding process. The reason why is because the quality of the platform from a service perspective was going to be evaluated by the quality of the service and the quality of the trainers. And so we vetted the trainers early on. We wanted to make it a, a really, you know, experience a high quality platform with high quality trainers that you know both personalities and and skill set and then and and when you come on we're now providing the tools to bring on their clients for next to nothing so you know it's it's essentially a transaction fee more than anything you know to cover the costs of you know transaction fees as well as twilio fees which is like the virtual training streaming fees but other than that that's pretty much it and then we take a little bit larger fee for the 
for the consumers and, and clients that we bring onto the platform that people get benefit from. But what's great about it is that either way, the trainer gets the lion's share of the money, right? Like we've seen it time and time again, you know, trainers again paid 25, 30, 45 bucks an hour, you know, in the gym because of the brick and mortar setting. Right. Like they, they can't afford anymore because they have all the overhead and the rent and everything else. Well, now trainers can come on virtually and they can deliver their service and we take a small percentage. Okay. Um, and the only, only way we can do that is because it's a plot. It's, 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 you know, the characteristics of platforms. So. Yeah. I love the model. I think it's a really cool concept. You're equating it to like Uber or Airbnb, I think is a great idea. There's probably quite a few trainers who have maybe moved from their gyms or maybe, maybe they're in the brick and mortar, right? They're learning how to create connections. Maybe some days they want to just do it out of their garage. And so they're able to do that. And then maybe their client wants to, you know, travel or do it out of their garage. And so maybe it's one or two days a week in the gym, Maybe it's a couple of days through your platform. Who knows? And then maybe over time it becomes, I, I, I like the fact that there's a lot of flexibility there and it allows people to kind of meet them where they're at. That's huge. Well, here's, here's my thought too. You know, uh, the consumers will pick. Based right. on my experience, the consumers, like if, if you ask anybody, my general feeling, you know, because people ask me, is virtual, virtual training here to stay? 100%. I mean, you 100%. know, at the end of the day, it's like saying is at-home fitness going to stay? At Home Fitness was here since the Jane Fonda DVD or, or VHS back in the 70s. So, yeah, 70s and 80s. At Home Fitness is here to stay until it's virtual training. The reality is, is that not everybody wants to do virtual training at home. Like, they just don't want it. Um, they'd rather be in the gym and, you know, throw up, you know, get under the bar, you know, under the squat rack and, and you know, or, or, you know, pull some you know, heavy de deadlifts. So, you know, for, for the consumer, they will dictate and pick where they want to go. Like they will either be a virtual training client or they will be an in-studio client. The one group that can't pick is the trainers, because guess what? Everybody knows this about the training industry prior to COVID. It's really tough to have a full-time schedule as it's trainers are traveling. They're on the road. You, you go from 40 hours to 30 hours. You're training 28 hours, 25 hours not full-time pay. Well, now if you don't adopt as a trainer, if you don't adopt virtual training as a, as an offering, the challenge is you have less option because now you might have two, three, four, five, ten 10 clients that want virtual training. So in my opinion, we're seeing our brick and mortar where you have, you know, the trainers are, you know, they might be training, you know, seven hours in a day, but two or three are virtual. And so they're kind of like scrambling, they're running around. And so, you know, I believe that virtual training is here to stay, especially for majority of the trainers are, that are out there because they have to adopt it. And, you know, it might not be five, six, seven, eight hours a day, but it's one or two. Um, the consumers are going to dictate what they want, but the trainers, you know, if you're going to dictate only be in person, well, I think unless you're experienced or you have a good Rolodex of clients, I, you know, I don't think people have all the flexibility to choose as a trainer. So, yeah. Well, I think you're creating a really cool, opportunity for a coach, especially with social media, being able to develop themselves on social media. And then if people want to engage them, they can go ahead and find them on workout.com. So I like, I like the pivots. I think it's really cool. Your story is super interesting to me, right? You, you have a wide depth of knowledge. You, you own and operate locations. You've also done a franchise and now you're, you're pivoting into the digital space. And so for that reason, I mean, your, your depth of experience across the entire industry is massive. Um, I'm curious. So where do you think the industry is going to go? I mean, I, I think you already alluded to it. 
where it's going to be like this hybrid model. But do you think that brick and mortar are going to be successful coming out of this and digital is going to be successful? And we're just going to have a whole industry where people are more uh, aware of how important health is, especially coming off COVID? Or do you think one is going to overtake the other? What, what, what's your thoughts on brick and mortar versus virtual? Or I'm sure you get the yeah, question brick, a lot. Yeah, brick and mortar is not going away. Right. You know, if, I, if I have a crystal ball, in my opinion, um, you know, you look at, at the industry, I've always categorized it in three three areas. You have the, the big box, you know, the 24-hour fitness, the Equinox, you name it, um, large overhead, large square footage. And then you have the boutique. So whether that's CrossFit, whether that's, you know, boutique personal training, you name it. And then you have the independents where, you know, they, they just rent space. I think personally, the later two, uh, independent training, independent yoga, Pilates, whatever, uh, renting space, whether it's at a silo fit, whether it's at a WeWork, um, you know, or a WeWork type model, like a right. shared space, a co-op space, totally safe, totally going to be here. You know, I, I think you're going to see a fallout of, of the big box. I think people don't want to be in, in large environments as much. I think, I think you're going to have a lot of people that adopted different means to work out, whether that's you know, the Pelotons of the world or at home or, you know, went to the, the boutique studios. And to be honest, the big box model was, you know, it was skin on thin ice. Like there was, you know, they were hanging on by a thread pre-COVID. And now when when they're based on high volume sales and no one's showing up, you know, I don't know if, if they're going to come out of this because we've seen over the years, like the financial crisis, how many of the big boxes went under. So I don't, those are going to be difficult. I think people are going to either have to, you know, scale down or scale up those. Um, I think the boutique boutique model, I think the brick and mortar boutique model, I think is here to stay. I think people, you know, they're going to value health more than ever. They were already valuing health more than ever. Longevity and personalized wellness is, is, is only getting stronger and stronger. And I think COVID just amplified the need of prioritizing that. So, you know, from my perspective, um, small boutique, personalized wellness, focus on longevity, performance, you name it, it's here to stay. Um, I think, you know, we're still not out of the woods yet, but uh, you know, if, if you can focus on that, I think that's, that's great. I think there's going to be a, a couple little, you know, hiccups on group class and, you know, uh, studio type operations such as F45 and Orange Theory, just in the short term because of restrictions and comfort level. Um, so if you can complement that with, one-on-one -on -one training where people feel a little more comfort, you know, comfortable in their, their own skin and, and, you know, being around people until they feel comfortable being around people. Like other than that, I think it's, it's, it's going to be bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. I think so too. I think we're going to have, they call it the roaring twenties. I think, especially for us here in the Bay area, I think we come into the new year. I think, I think we're going to see a lot of things kick in, which is, you know, long overdue um, because of the restrictions and a lot of other things we have going on. But I, I think that your knowledge is, I mean, obviously your knowledge is incredible. If people want to talk to you, find out more about maybe your business, workout, whatever it may be, where's the best place for them to go? Because you got a couple of things going on. Yeah. You know what? The easiest is probably, uh, well, you can email me Curtis at, at workout.com. So that's C-U-R-T-I-S at workout.com. But check me out on Instagram, Facebook, you know, it's Curtis Christofferson and, and uh, you'll be able to find me LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn. So any social channel, no problem. But if you want to email me, Curtis at workout.com, uh, it's probably the easiest. And and you're on LinkedIn, huh? So, so what, uh, because do you connect with trainers on LinkedIn or how, what, what is the, why LinkedIn above the other channels or do you use that just as another platform? 
Yeah, you know, it's it, that's a great question. So, you know, I think Facebook and, and Instagram, I mean, a lot of things are changing, especially the last six months around tracking privacy laws, just even people's comfort level to be on it. You know, you're seeing, a, you know, a lot of people coming off, you know, Instagram as an example. Um, LinkedIn, it's, it's funny, over the last five years, uh, when they got purchased by Microsoft, their algorithms and, and overall their, their uh, the, the usage has, has increased in terms of, you know, the quality of content, the quality of thought leadership, the quality of, of people interacting on it. And so, you know, in my belief, you know, especially in the training industry, if you're training, you know, an affluent market or an educated market, you know, whether it's executive CEOs, business professionals, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, you know, that's where, that's, I think, um, an area and arena that they're participating in. If you want to get in corporate wellness, I think, you know, being a voice on LinkedIn is super important. Um, I don't, you know, I don't see a ton of trainers on, on LinkedIn, probably enough. Um, I think that's where the fish are, right? So it's where our customer is. And now with Workout, I mean, all of our partners, wh whether it's, you know, Hyperice, Athletic Greens, TRX, super active on, on LinkedIn, whether it's our investors, super active on LinkedIn. You know, so I think LinkedIn is, a, if you want to run a business, um, you know, and, and, and build community or connections with both your customer as well as partnerships, I think LinkedIn is, is uh, or just be a thought leader. I think it's, you know, one of the best, you know, avenues to go. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously I'm a big fan of the podcast and big fan of uh, Instagram, but I think that there's something to be said about LinkedIn. So I, I need to give that a second look. Um, well, Curtis, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for your insights. And uh, I'm excited to go see what, what, uh, what Workout does. I think it'll create a lot of really cool opportunities for trainers. Yeah. Thanks, Chase. Have a good one.